Hey guys, welcome to the MC Anime Podcast. We cover anime, geek culture, Japanese aesthetics, and Asian studies. We are a multi fandom podcast, and you can expect to hear topics in your favorite hobby or fandom activity potentially. You can find MC Anime on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Also, please check out mcanimepodcast.com, our website. Furthermore, stay tuned in for another episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of MC Anime. MC here, and we're back with a guest today. So, Sam B, how are you doing today? I am excellent. How are you? And let me say it's a pleasure to be on your show there, MC. Uh, not too bad. So, for the day, before we get into today's episode, uh, Sam B, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and if you have any social media that people, I don't know, can beat you. All right, well, if you guys want to meet me on social media, about the only place I hang out is Discord. Okay, that's understandable. Just because social media is like, it's whatever. Uh, you know. I'm an older guy, I'm over 30. I've been doing technology for the last uh, 25 years. When I first started with technology, we were on a 286DX. And if anybody knows anything about, you know, silicon, then, then you know, 286DX was a while ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but yeah. So currently, I work for I work for Dell Technologies. Um, undisclosed location. Not gonna tell you guys where. Don't ask. <laughs> but I uh, I run a field service office for for Dell, and we do field R and D as well as you know normal field work. And field work can be anything from your desktop PC all the way to 120 server racks at a time. Wow. All right, so that's a little bit about Sam B, what he does, potentially where you can find him. Other do, today's episode is going to be about data technology, research, and development. So how does that play out into the scheme of things? The field office administrator. Well, most of the stuff. What do you think of when you when you when I say Dell technology is is just you know laptops, little desktops. They 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 make a couple gaming PCs, stuff like that. Most people don't know that they make all kind of craziness. Like um, recently, we made a an actual engine conversion kit to convert older cars to electric engines. Oh, yeah, it's it's really cool. So you can take like a 1970s model, whatever, and you can convert it to an electric engine, and we filled with a battery pack and everything you need. And it's it's literally just the, the kit it's good to go from the kit install it and you get an electric car is the kit cheaper than the actual version of electric car the kit's about twelve thousand dollars oh plus, so plus it's basically an alternative to electric car well no it's still an electric car it's just an alternative to to, to buying and like like let's say the cheapest model tesla is sixty thousand dollars <laughs> and you've got like a classic i don't know ford mustang or something and you want to switch it to electric it's twelve thousand dollars well that's still better than than actual buying a new car Oh, that's well. It's something we did. I say I say Mustang because it's something we did in, in conjunction with Ford Motor, uh, Ford Motors. Oh, uh, okay. For so, the Ford Motor Company. Okay, that's really cool though because it gives you an alternative to what the actual car is, but actually can book the car into the electrical aspect. What the electrical car is. Yeah. How long will that been? Uh, you guys were working on that. Uh, can't tell you that. Uh, okay. So you probably what? That all looks like six plus months, maybe two years out. Who knows how long? Oh, it's, 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 I'll tell you this. It's closer to like seven or eight years than it was to six months. Oh, what? So that, oh, but the technology for the electric car hasn't been around long. So that's kind of interesting. The technology for electric cars has been around since the 70s. And we haven't experimented until now. Cause it's think. never, yeah, it's it never really hit mainstream until probably 10, 12 years ago. You can blame Toyota because Toyota, you know, brought up the 
Toyota Prius. And then that's kind of what pushed everybody in that particular direction. Ah, uh, well, there you go. So through the advancements of technology in general, how will you specify advancement is good or necessary for the industry? Well, advancement is always good. Advancement is always necessary. Uh, I think we have to be responsible about it because e-waste is really a thing. And um, generation over generation, the gains are starting to go down. Like, not horribly, but they are starting to go down. It's not three times performance, four times performance anymore. Not sure. So the performance of technology itself, it becoming smaller, it's not as... If, if technology is becoming more compact, then it's becoming less of what it was before. No. See, the way we're, we're the way we, we started out, we started out on huge, huge circuits, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say when we started, we had 120 nanometer circuits. And over the years, we've gotten the process down to where we could fit more circuits onto a single piece of silicon. That way we get more cores onto a single piece of silicon. And then the smaller process uses less energy, so you get more power with less energy used in a smaller package. The problem is we're, we're running into it now where it's getting harder and harder to shrink the package down because right now we're on we're, we're three nanometers uh, and it's it's like subatomic level. A nanometer is super small and we're at three nanometer processes. So if we go any smaller, like, we can probably get to one nanometers in the next five, six years and be all right. But that's that's uh, that's literally chip processing. That's, that's something that Dell doesn't do itself. Is there a certain point where it becomes so small that the technology doing is not as impactful because it's harder to work on. That's kind of where we've been for the past five years or so. Mm -hmm. It's where it gets harder and harder and harder and harder and harder and harder to shrink it down. So in order to get any kind of significant performance gain, we have to we have to up it somewhere else. That's why the current Intel 13th gen processors can pull 600 watts. Um, that's why the 14th gen processors have to have a cooling package of 650 watt capabilities, stuff like that, you know? Oh, uh, okay. So the size is getting to the point where it's more efficient you have to basically put protocols in place to for the safety of the device to function properly to boost the performance. We'd have to have to make well the biggest enemy to computing is heat. You know, in order to get more power or more you know speed or whatever out of something, we have to apply more power, which makes more heat. And that's why it's getting to the point where you have to have a 2,000 watt cooler. And the 2,000 watt cooler is what type of size computer? Oh, uh, that would be, it'd be a server. It, it would it would be a server. So something like an SP3 size board. Okay. And the server, is it like size of a desk kind of size or is it? Mm, depends on what you would call a desk size normally. And it depends on the board. Some boards have um, three and four processors. Some boards only have one. All right. What's the standard? Two. Normally standard is two, two processors, four boards per board in a server, but there's you there's four, there's six, there's eight. It just depends on, you know, your, your particular setup. But that that goes in the whenever you start talking about that, you start going into like data centers and stuff. And then data center is a whole different level of computing than what most people are using. And data center and enterprise is where oh probably 80, 90 percent of all computing is done. Like let's say you've got your computer, you turn it on, you play a game, all the info from your computer gets sent to a data center where the actual game is hosted. And that's where the game is actually played and you've got 10 12,000 people on this one computer at one time playing a game. And that's why you would need all that computing power. All right. So with the processing power that we have the standard, 
versus seeing the different models and make, how does that translate into which specific process you need for the project you're going to use it? How you differentiate that? Oh, uh, really? How do I differentiate that process? It's, it's all about workload. It's, it's, it's really all about workload. It's like if you're just going to play games, it depends on the game you're going to play. If you're doing some heavy compute, it depends on, you know, what kind of setup you want because there are different options. If you're just going to, you know, be a large server site for just data storage, there's, there's a whole different everything. So, I mean, you can break it down, but there's no one good formula. I mean, even my buddy at Oracle, it's his job. It's literally his job to decide what processes run on which processes on which servers and it's really just about workload mm, true because when i decided my technology used for say the podcast while i needed to upgrade to a computer that could have the storage i needed but also one efficiently and not be an old you know an old processing tower so i my choice was a Laptop. What kind of gaming laptop did you get? I got an MSI, new version. One of the G66 Leopards? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a decent it has like 500 gigabytes and there has like some other storage has good processing power. Well, the problem uh, I think I got it for is to uh, have a standard use, but also have good. Yeah. The biggest issue with laptops, no matter what the brand, no matter if it's an HP, it's a Dell, it's the Lenovo, it's an MSI, if it's an Asus, the biggest issue with laptops is upgradability because they're not built to be upgraded. Okay. So the, the feature in laptop being the technology of being mobile. As they say, is that's the trade-in for upgradability? That's exactly what the trade-in is. You can it's it's a powerful machine. You can carry it wherever you need. It's extremely mobile. Ninety percent of the time, they're 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 fairly efficient. They weigh less than five pounds. You can carry it in a bag. You know what I mean? Where an equivalent desktop would be seven hundred watts. It would weigh thirty-five pounds. You'd have to carry a package of stuff. You'd have to carry a monitor, your peripherals. A laptop is just one unit, and that's actually where laptop how laptops the technology for laptops about is is we all needed a way to to go be mobile with a computer without carrying you know a pelican case that weighs 400 pounds worth of stuff to go work on something and mm-hmm. then now uh, over the past few years we we've developed nfc devices which are near field communication devices you know tablets stuff like that and we use that instead of actually using a laptop or an actual desktop or anything to commute or to uh communicate with the servers and stuff that we work on now we use nfc device oh okay because the industry i'm in is drives that we keep upgrading the new system so, like, for example, Food Lion is a grocery store chain. I know Food Lion. Dow Hayes. And they're a near me. Program, <laughs> the national program is the tab. They use it. Yeah. Deep on tablet, powered by Android, to do all the processing, well, the food production. Mm-hmm. It has a problem. It has very weird kinks in the system. You have to do certain things, specific protocol. And if you don't do it right, it messes it up. You have the data. So basically, they track it remotely. And it's a big pain because now you have to check mark, then you do the scaling, then you do the food production, and you have to do the food production every single day. They track everything, and they keep coming in. They keep, there you see new corporate people because of the the special niche to the tablet. Yeah. Well, there's the thing about the tablet. The tablet itself is not a bad invention. The tablet was just a way to be a little more mobile. Now, the tablets that you have are just cheap knockoff Android platforms that can run one or two programs, this or that. They're they're like completely low grade. Um, They're really not meant to be doing what you're doing. They work, but it's just like super cheap, not built well. Though the platform is, was actually, the Android platform is actually a Linux platform that's been adapted by Google. Yeah. So that it can run on their mobile platform. 
platform, which there's nothing wrong with. I love Linux, honestly, because you can do anything you want on Linux. But the issue is it's so limited on a, on a little tablet like that. There's not a lot you can do. And then from that tablet right there, it goes, all that data backtracks to a server and it's all stored and all the check marks and all that stuff. Now, we developed a tablet a few years back now. We developed a tablet that uh, is literally a laptop inside a tablet. Mm. Microsoft's really popular. Microsoft like made it super popular. They came out with a Surface Pro and the Surface Pro RT. Yeah, true. But Microsoft had this problem where they tried to put an i7 processor inside a Surface Pro RT and it melted the, it melted the uh, tablet. Mm. Now, through R&D, through lots of research, through a lot of the field trial, through a lot of testing, we develop a tablet that can hold an i7 without any heat issues. Okay. But wouldn't that something like that be the resource in the other like, going into that be more like expensive? Yeah, it is more expensive. Is research? Okay. Yeah. Here's the it, thing it about research. Mm. Here's the thing about research. I'll explain it to you the best way I know how. The first Tylenol, you know what everybody knows what Tylenol is, right? Mm -hmm. the, the first Tylenol cost about $10 billion. The very first one cost about $10 billion. The second one cost about a tenth of a penny because oh. all the research funds are on that first one. But after you get the first one, it's just infinitely smaller every time you make another one. True. And then when you also look at, like, let's say the microwave. The microwave yeah. is a really good example of how technology over the years has progressed. You used to have these, these oven, like, oven-sized microwaves that mm -hmm. ran less operating power. More, you know, to be actually dangerous, and now you have more portable microwaves. Well, yeah, now with microwaves for, were first invented, microwaves were. How they were invented is, is really, really cool to me. There were a, a couple of scientists. There, yeah, there were a couple of scientists. They were trying to figure out if they were if they used microwaves to communicate with each other, like like for military communications and stuff like that. Yeah. So they were in a microwave field trying to communicate with each other. And one of the scientists had a chocolate bar in his pocket and it mm -hmm. melted because of the microwave. Yeah. It's got radiation. That's the theory that actually that. Yeah. The way, the, way, the way microwaves work is they take the water molecules inside whatever it is that it's microwaving and it makes them vibrate violently like they just can't. And not sit still. And the friction from the molecules inside of whatever it is is what actually does the cooking inside a microwave. Now, when microwaves were first invented, they were huge. People were afraid of them. You know, they were like oven size. They weren't shielded very well because we didn't know much better than that. And over the years, the way technologies progressed, we found a way to make more microwaves and make them make them in a smaller package and then shield them better inside an even smaller unit. So now microwaves are the size they are now and they're, they're infinitely less risk than they used to be. But they were a, a whole lot of risk unless you were standing inside of them. Yeah, the only risk is if you're standing inside of it. Well, no, they also say you shouldn't stand in too close to it in order in front of it as well. And well, though, so long that, risk that way you can also be like... Well, that, that's, that's years and that's probably 15, 20 years ago mm -hmm. before the shielding caught up to the actual microwaves. So it's not as bad anymore. I still don't recommend standing right next to it, but I mean, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt you as it would. Yeah. And not be expensive. Exactly. What was the technology that used to be? The expensive, not really accessible. Solar panels do really good progression. Computers used to be completely inaccessible. A desktop computer was the size of a house and it cost millions and millions and millions of dollars. It could only do simple instructions and it basically just did math on its own. Like then That's like the best example. Uh, one of the first, I think Alan Turing invented the first, uh, yeah. the first main, what we call a mainframe of a year back in the day was literally as big as a house. And that was in the 60s. And then the personal, after 20 some odd years of development, we ended up with personal computers, which were still very, very, very large. Yeah. And then 20, 20 years after that, we ended up with, you know, these huge chunk of metal laptops that were about the size of a suitcase. And then now 20 years after that, we have laptops that weigh a pound and a half and take up less space than 
than a pizza box. Yeah. And, and, they're, and they're more powerful. And they're they're infinitely more powerful. They're probably 10 million times more powerful. Like we did a test the other day just to see how far processors have come. And let's say the 7950X, right? Compared to the AMD K6 or yeah, AMD K6. The uh, 7950X is 9,980,000 some odd thousand times faster than the AMD K, uh, K2. That's it. And that's, that's, that's just been 20 years. Can you imagine what it's been for 40 years? But uh, a lot of the research and development that goes into it and it comes from is we need more processing power. We need to be able to do this. We need to be able to do this faster. We need to do this more. We need to be able to do that. And it's just slowly and progress just from there. And in 20 more years, we might be on, you know, whatever is smaller than a nanometer. Yeah. When do you think your phones will be obsolete? I don't think phones will ever be obsolete. You think they'll get even smaller than they are now or just stay the same? I don't know. I don't know. We're kind of, phones are kind of weird. They'll probably get a little smaller. I think, I don't know. Phones are a weird platform because oh, they're, they're still just phones. Um, they're progressing more into like many computers and they're progressing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to take, there's there's a lot of people going toward gaming phones and, you know, stuff like, like kind of like label laptops. So I think they'll ever be obsolete. Um, no, not unless Elon Musk figures out how to make Neuralink work. I don't think phones will ever be obsolete. Well, they get to these weird uh, graphics that you can actually like have a glass screen and now have a smaller screen size now it's more portable but like you get glass yeah something like that but if you get to that stuff it's more vulnerable not as well right now right now it's vulnerable right now it's extremely vulnerable right now it's 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 hard to do but that's that's how technology that's how r&d works is right now it's hard to do what can we do to make it better what can we do to make it easier what can we do to make it cheaper what can we do to make it smaller welcome what can we do to make it more accessible and these are the questions you have to ask yourself how do we make it more functional how do we make it just more accessible to everybody how can we make it uh, instead of a want how can we make it a need yeah and i think the only progression to phones is potentially the smaller size or smaller hardware or hologram. That's the only way I think it'll be like advancing to the point where the phones we have now will be as obsolete as the car phone. Because they had to cut corners for the car phone on frequencies just for people to use new phone. Yeah. And there was nothing wrong with the car phone. They had to cut a bunch of frequencies for people to go from the newer phone. Well, they do that a lot. The FCC does that. They uh, Everybody has a certain range of frequencies they're allowed to use, according to the FCC, and they're allowed to use them for certain things. Well, here's my question. So if the car phone was very versatile in its usage, why do they have to push it out and have new phones out? Because the, the mobile phone's more popular. You can't carry a car phone with you. It's in your car. You can carry a mobile True. phone in your pocket. It's everywhere. That was that was the killer. That was... Now? That was the killer of the car phone, is the fact that mobile phones got to the point where they were cheap, cheap enough for everybody to have one, cheap enough where anybody could have one, and they're versatile enough where you would use it. That's how the mobile phone replaced the car phone. That's how the mobile phone replaced the landline. That's how the mobile phone became not a, not a, not a want. It became a need. Name one person now that doesn't have a mobile phone. Mm. 20 years ago, everybody had a landline. Now, name one person that doesn't have a mobile phone. Some people still don't have one. It's just, it's whatever. But only people I can think of living off the grid. Exactly. Or Amish or like Pacific culture or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Because now the mobile phone has replaced car phones. It's replaced 
payphones, it's replaced landlines, all that stuff disappeared because somebody figured out how to make it small enough that er that, it, that it can go anywhere. Everybody figured out how to make it powerful enough to do what it, all this other stuff does. Somebody found a way to make it cheap enough to where everybody could have one. And then they found a way to make everybody want one to the point where it became a cultural thing. And if you didn't have one, then you were just whatever. And now everybody's got one and it's a necessity because you can't use the, you can't call people on landline. They don't exist. Can't call people on the car phone because there are no such things as car phones. And you'll be lucky if you find a pay phone anywhere. Well, I have a landline. I have a landline for you. I still use it. Probably. Yeah. But I don't use it like I use Exactly. You know, how often does your landline ring? Not very often. Exactly. Uh, usually, uh, family or these cases when my work kind of call me. Yeah. But that is, that is how, that is how R&D works. That is how our R&D persists. Those are the questions you ask in R&D. That's, that's, it's, and then the way technology R&D works is, is we need something that can do this easier, more efficiently. We, and that's how you get stronger, more efficient stuff oh. and then and then new programs will come out or somebody will have a new need for they need to be able to do this in this much time so we need to find a way to make that happen in this shorter amount of time do you think the blockages and the different frequencies that car phone had were either because of obsolete or because they wanted to promote the newer phone so people get even more people absolutely yeah. i think out of ten thousand cars you'll probably find zero car phones out of a hundred thousand cars you might find one out of a million cars you might find well, but the technology still exists, but the, now the frequencies are not used unless you use satellite. That's the only way you can get cell service. But why would you do that when now cars come with, you know, Bluetooth or smart technology, stuff like that? Exactly. And now cars even come with their own Wi-Fi that runs on that particular bandwidth that car phones used to use. Some of that's been allotted to cars for onboard Wi-Fi. Oh, interesting. So I don't think that, that they eliminated the frequency just because, you know, well, we needed to switch everybody to car phones. I yeah. think they eliminated the frequencies because it's the same reason we we, we, we eliminated analog TV. It's, it was just a convenience thing. Nobody's really using it anymore. Well, you know, we switched to debt. We just, that's why we switched to digital TV. It's easier, it's faster, it's better. But they're still mandated by law to do it analog thing yeah yeah there's still the analog is, is now it's mandated that analog is for emergency broadcast oh so they still have to maintain an analog signal which is no big deal but it's it's mainly just for emergency. true i actually miss analog yeah, i think from the cable company it was a lot easier to do the analog signal for me it was a lot i grew up and i actually mostly like analog okay the cable now you, you have to buy the box you have to buy the maintenance more money involved than what the analog yeah but that was a federal thing i'm that's that didn't have anything to do with technology really it, it's we can make digital signals we should use digital signals and we can change the analog signals to something else and since since that was done by the government everybody just had to adapt that wasn't a technology advancement that was just the government stepping in and saying hey we're gonna do this now and that that, that same thing happens with us is sometimes the, the government will step in and say hey uh we're not gonna do this anymore so we can't do that anymore true i like different example on why technology be obsolete or not use as much, even though it's still available. Yeah. Well, you know, now storage is now going from hardware to software. So, you mean it's going from hard drive to yeah, hardware? It's, yeah, we're not uh, external device into now external memory to now like cloud based. Well, I mean, you got to remember how storage started. Yeah, you know, I know. When, when storage first started, we used tape drive. Well, we actually, we didn't even use tape drive. We used magnetic tape. We literally used mag magnetic tape to start with. And oh, one megabyte of magnetic tape. Tape weighed sixty pounds, okay. and you could erase, it, and you could erase it with a magnet. You walk, you walk too close to it with a magnet, it would be erased. So we moved from that to a magnetic disc. 
there's still there's still tape backups. There's there's literally still tape backups today. Uh, financial institutions use tape backups like you wouldn't believe. They're stored offsite, but uh, that's just a go-to safety precaution. So the, the the technology is still widely available. The floppy disk technology is still widely available. They can turn the production back on it tomorrow. It costs less than a penny to make a floppy drive. Hard disks uh, like HDDs, hard disk drives, the spinning disk, the platter di- the platter hard drives is what we call them. Yeah, people still use them. Um, the technology is going a long way when we first started with spinning disc we had say 590 megabytes spinning disc they were large they were heavy um they were slow super slow then over the years it's progressed to where we got to 2600 rpms we got the 5400 rpms we got a 10,000 rpms we shrunk the the original five pound six pound hdd down to less than a pound uh, first, uh, first and foremost, they were just single, single platter discs that we were using, and it was a magnetic write and magnetic read. And that's what, over the years, that's changed a lot. What's the industry standard for storage now? M2s. We use M2s most of the time. We use M2. And M2 started as the way M2s actually came about was non-volatile RAM and IEE problems, which was uh, as long as it had power, it wouldn't lose whatever you written or whatever you wrote on it. And it kind of progressed from there to now it's just solid state. Oh. Uh, so is any two a process to store the information? Is it- the process is it's, it's still the same. Um, the information is still stored the same way. It's oh, okay. But it's not going to be corrupted. Yeah. Corruption normally happens on HDDs because of the platter and the way it was designed. Um, and a lot of people don't know this, but the way it was designed, it would write something on one particular part of the platter, and your folder would be a directory to where that plat where that section of platter was, and and so on and so. So when you deleted something, it it would to, you know, make a fragmentation here, a fragmentation there, uh, and you would have to defragment it. And over time, it just wore the platter out and the platter couldn't handle it anymore. The platters are better now. And then SSDs work off actual switches and not magnetic reads like that. I mean, it still stores data the same way, you know, it goes from you, it goes from the RAM to the storage, but instead of being stored as a magnetic read somewhere on the platter, it's just on and off switches. Okay. That store the electrical impulse that are data. Because gotcha. everything, everything that we know is data actually breaks down to it's an electrical signal. Hey, true. So what's the best, uh, what's for, let's say a private individual, what's the best storage for them? The standard day storage. Depends on that's the need. It's not going to be corrupted. That's not going to be like that can be lasting for many years. Everybody hates on the, the HDDs because they're kind of, they're, they're just not popular anymore. But I'll be honest with you, I, I still like them. Um, I think they're still viable to an extent. The best cheap storage is probably an HDD. You can get, I think it's 10 cents a, 10 cents a, a gigabyte now, maybe less, 8 cents a gigabyte, something like that. It might be 4 cents a gigabyte. You can get a 2 terabyte for. Yeah, the external hard drives, but they last a lot. Wild. Well, external hard drives are built a little beefier than internal yeah. hard drives. And uh, most of the external hard drives you buy nowadays are just going to be solid state anyway. True. But on a personal, on a, it just depends on the person, depends on what you're doing. If you if you need like quick read writes, uh, probably go with an M2 SSD, especially since the platform is like super popular. It's like the mainstream platform right now. Uh, SATA, SATA SSD still exists. There's still a decent option that's cheap. If you have to have a lot of storage that's fast, but not as fast as an M2, you could always go with a SATA SSD. If you just have like a lot of storage, a lot of stuff you need to store, like pictures, songs, videos, that kind of stuff, I'd recommend some HDDs. It just, just depends. Yeah. Typically, most individuals two terabyte hard two terabytes of storage is pretty much enough for the last what they're doing. Well, most people, yeah, but then you got people like me that have like thirty terabytes of storage. Oh, uh, true. Thirty ter thirty terabytes of solid state storage and forty terabytes of, of HDD stuff like that. And how often do you actually access that? All the time. 
oh shoot, I don't believe in having, you know, stuff like that and not using it. So if I'm not going to use it, I'm not going to have it. True. And most of it's like, you know, residual data to the project you're working on, you have to go back to it if you say you need a refresh or something like that, quick guide, you know, whatever you need it for as a reference. So even use it for an entire project. You never know when it comes in handy. Yeah. Some of the stuff you use is insane. Some of the amounts of stuff you use is insane. But most people just, just normal everyday computing, playing games, stuff like that. Two terabytes is more than enough. Two terabytes will be more than enough for the next five years or so. Well, that's what I have using uh, cloud-based storage. So for two terabytes, because I work with all these different people overseas. And yeah. it doesn't wrong with cloud-based storage. Cloud-based storage is yeah. really popular in an enterprise commercial level, just because it's easy to access from anywhere. So you don't have to have this device linked up to this device, linked up to that device, linked up to this device, because you can yeah. put it on the cloud. Everybody can pull and take and push whatever they need. But yeah, I had to uh, get some videos downloaded. You're using Google Drive. Google Drive has the default. I'm not what she said for free then you had the upgraded versions but it gets down to the point it's like well you're telling me you're using like 15 different google accounts just to have the storage saved and now you can't use as a back down on all, all the alternative alternate accounts of google it's like okay so i gotta download well this time how about this it's the two turbo hard drive base that you can use on the cloud Alternative of the Beagle, and it's not Beagle. We actually do cloud storage but as a service, as a subscription service. Mm -hmm. And some companies have a petabyte of cloud storage. And the oh, petabyte. Makes, that just makes my brain up. That's a thousand terabytes. Eh. We do, we do, uh, do cloud-based storage subscription, all that stuff. We do computing as a service. We're good to into. We're starting to get into, after, after a lot of market analysis stuff, we're starting to get into AI as a service where you can... You can rent servers from us for AI computations and floating point integer computations and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel with AI. I feel like AI is, is a question for a, that's a question for a whole different podcast. We could talk about that yeah. days. We could talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, the stuff nobody wants to talk about, all the stuff that everybody's afraid of that's not really going to happen, that could never really happen. Well, most of it right now that companies is looking at is the API. They're trying to protect their API so they're going to offer it's premium instead of free version and happen. Well, the problem is with, with AI and APIs is a lot of APIs are protected. They're private. They, they're not supposed to be viewed by anybody. And AI was most large-scale language models were trained on copyrighted material, material, stuff that it shouldn't have been trained on. It didn't have permission to train on any of the stuff. And that's, it's, it's basically just one big uh, plagiarism machine. And that's the issue with AI as far as developers go. It's because all the stuff that AI has learned on is, is copyrighted or is trademarked or it's whatever. So it's it's basically giving away company secrets and the company, they get a dime for it. So you could get on a language model AI and write your own API based on, and it'll be copied from somewhere else, bits and pieces of it. The AI does not know anything on its own. It's not predictive. It's predictive to an extent, but it's not truly predictive. It's not dynamic like a human brain at all. It's it's really good. It just, it's, it's like a giant Google search is all it is. Yeah, pretty much. And I, I don't like it. I think it's progressing to a point where it's just going to keep affecting the copyright entertainment industry. It's going to, the problem with AI is it's going to break half of the economy. Not even that, but it's also going to be all these restrictions. It's going to break. It's going to be new cost of the world. Yeah, it's going to break half of the world economy because artists are going to be out of business. Uh, people that, that do work in it, like factory workers will be out of business because there won't be any need for you. Somebody trained an AI to, to run 500 machines, so instead of needing 600 people, you need 10 guys to keep the machines up. All this, 
I mean, and automation is not a bad thing. Automation is good for everybody to an extent. But I don't think, I don't think AI automation is what we need, actually. I think it's bad for society as a whole. Oh, I know. But, you know, depending on what, it doesn't matter. I think AI is going to come to a point if the government doesn't step in and actually control it. And uh, it's going to be a lot of laws in place. It's already there. And that's the problem. It's going to be, be, it's going to be major control by the government to actually stimulate what the universal law and then also international law. And it's uh, going to be a lot of loss, a lot of damage to IP and how people protect intellectual property. It's going to make it to the point where all IP will be super protected to the point where you won't be able to do anything at all. Everything will be super safeguarded. Everything will be super safeguarded. All R&D will be like, it's already behind lock, lock and key, but it'll be like buried under lock and key. Yeah, I don't know. Especially because some countries don't have copyright laws and copyright infringement is one of the things that they're really good at. I'm not going to mention any names like the CCP or anybody and copyright infringement like it. 90% of everything they do, but it would be more widespread. It would be bad for everybody. Yeah. Because that's the, you know, it's one of the newest yeah. technology. It's one of the newest technologies that. And the internet is the the file storm that is allowing AI to access all. Of it. Well, yeah, because over the years we've all grown dependent on the internet. So the internet, the internet's literally a wealth of If there was ever any extraterrestrial species out there, they wouldn't know anything about us. All they would have to do is get on the internet. They would know everything about us. <laughs> Especially is there anything, out of way all the time. Is there anything that like what is needed to dial back AI's point? It's not causing this problem. Oh, that's, that's real simple. A lot of people need to get together and they need to sue the AI company to every one of them because they're trained on copyrighted material. They've literally infringed on every copyright on the internet. Just sue them. Sue them for copyright infringement. It'll the the the, the cases will be so large they'll have no choice but to shut down. Oh. No one person can make enough data on their own to train a large scale uh, language AI like uh, ChatGPT. No one person can do that. It takes millions and millions of people to make enough data for the, that many data sets. Yeah, and this sometimes might be your data. So, well, most of the time, most of the time, it is your data because whenever you sign up to a website, you agree to the terms. You don't read it. You get on Facebook. You don't read the terms and conditions. You get on Google. You don't read the terms and conditions. You play a game. You don't read the terms and conditions. You sign up for. You go look at a website and you agree to accept the cookies and the terms and conditions. You have no idea where your data is at because you've given it away to everybody. True. Even if you go on the internet, it's not, there's no protection of that data. You can safeguard some of it, but it can be leaked. It can do. It's yeah. It can be leaked. It could be sold or whatever. And it's 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 on you for just signing the ticket and saying, yeah, sign me up. Let's go. Go grab my phone. So, so oh, yeah, what's the We're going to have to wrap this up in the next few minutes. Okay. So uh, we come to a closing statement. So what do you want to say about technology as a whole and uh, Dow technology and R&D? Technology as a, whole, uh, as a whole is great. Um, That's really that. It's great. Makes your life easy. Makes your life easier as far as Dow technologies. I mean, I don't really have anything bad to say. It, it's, it's a good company to work for. Great company. Um, matter of fact, we'll probably have to do this podcast again <laughs> just so we can get more into Dell. Yeah. But yeah, it's a great company to work for. They take care of you. They'll teach you. They'll train you. You got to have certain, you know, qualifiers. But, but once you get in, it's, it's great. Um, R&D is, can't really talk a whole lot about R&D without getting in trouble. So R&D is great. You, know, you need the research to do the development. And if with the research, you do the development. So they both go ahead and yeah, the basis the for the owner involved and the, the, the stages to develop such research is the pinnacle of the advancement of the project itself. Well, it's, 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 
research and development is the pinnacle of advancement of humankind and civilization. Well, yeah, man. Um, we're gonna have, probably going to do this again in a couple of days so we can we can get more into the Dell side and you can cut it all off yeah. for what you need to do. <laughs> Dell technology would be an interesting rabbit hole to explore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we do if you want we do another one if you if you want we can do another one just about R and D too but we can't go into specific but we can talk about oh. you know we can talk about R and D processes and so on and so forth we just can't talk about specific examples we could also talk about R and D past uh, by you know stuff that was already public knowledge and all that stuff yes sir all right but it, but it has been a pleasure and like I said set something up with me and we'll go from there all right thank you so much no problem appreciate it bye guys later. This concludes another episode of MC Anime Podcast. MC Anime Podcast is available on podcast directories like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. We also have our website at mcanimepodcast.com. If you want to directly support us, then follow Patreon blog MC Anime. Finally, if you want services for hire, then we're available on Fiverr for audio and video production, graphic design, idea consulting, and blog and article writing. 